previous two sessions on this subject of unity, where we were reading Psalm 133, the first those three verses, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity, and it tells you how what pours down, and then it comes to that third verse where it says that for there the Lord commands blessing, life forevermore. And in those uh, first two sessions, we looked at uh, a few things like what unity was and what it isn't. We looked at when and where God can command blessing. And uh, <clears throat> we looked at some of the benefits that come from uh, unity when, when we, we're dwelling together in unity. Uh, and in this session, I want to not, I want to look at the how and we can maintain unity, come into it and then maintain it uh, as we move from the unity of the spirit into the unity of the faith, uh, as Ephesians chapter 4 verse 3 says. And while unity may not be the main theme of the book of uh, Ephesians, it certainly is close to being that. When you see that, everything that you begin to read in, in the book of Ephesians, you begin to see how important unity is. And uh, in this book, we know that Paul emphasizes our riches in Christ. And he enumerates so many of them for us. But alongside that, you, 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 you see that in the first chapter, etc. But alongside that, you'll see how important unity is and some of the steps that we can take helpful uh, ingredients that can help us to not only move into unity, but move once we're in it to move in unity together. Uh, chapter two, he talks about Christ dying to reconcile us. And he actually even goes as far as to say that in Christ's uh, death and resurrection, even Jews and Gentiles, the middle wall of partition or separation has been broken down. He, he's made it so that they can be together and become one new man. Uh, chapter three, he speaks again about the church being able to understand the administration of uh, this whole amazing plan of redemption and how it works out and that we should understand it and it needs to be made clear to us. And then he comes uh, to chapter 4 and that's where I want to pick up in, again in, in, in this, uh, this session and possibly another session after that. He says this in chapter 4, we're going to just, I'd like us to read actually chapter 4, 5 and 6, but we're going to just read a few verses here in chapter 4. And he says this, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. He says this, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, this is the grounds for unity, there is one body and one Spirit, Holy Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And that's why he says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly realm, regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heaven, heavens, 
in order to fill the whole universe. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. And the reason is to prepare God's people for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, when we reach that, then we will no longer be in infants, tossed and back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every, um, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful schemings. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. All about unity as well as what Christ has done for us. So let's have a look at this. Uh, in chapter 4, he speaks about unity in verse 3. The Amplified Bible talks about harmony and oneness in chapter 4, verse 6. And he gives us some helpful essentials uh, in moving forward into and once we're into it, in unity together, which makes us more effective, more fruitful, and it brings God's commanded blessing. And that's what we want. He's saying that in the light of all that Christ has made available for us, the riches of his of 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 his of Christ's glory, all those riches, as chapter three verse eight speaks, what follows is not unreasonable to expect from us. He tells us again. Let me just remind you that dwelling together, in chapter in Psalm one hundred thirty three verse one, that uh, he tells Paul tells us what dwelling together really means. It means to be connected to him, abiding in him, as he said in John fifteen, and. The importance of being in Christ is emphasized over and over and over in this uh, chapter, in this book. It's mentioned at least 20 times of being in Christ and then with Christ is also mentioned three times in the book of Ephesians. And what he's really saying here is, look, I'm going to lay out some things here, but by human effort, we're not going to make it. We're going to have to need to be in Christ. We need the power of the Holy Spirit, the life of God to help us through this. And the Holy Spirit is mentioned time and time and time again in this letter. So essential. So let's have a look at some of these ingredients or some of these helpful uh, steps, uh, uh, things we can embrace to help us to move forward together. First one is, uh, and I'm just going to give you the, the way I see things. Um, don't live below what he has for you in your calling. We want to see unity. We want to see the effectiveness and the fruitfulness that God's commanded blessing can bring. Then each and every one of us, pastors, leaders, whatever we are, followers, male, female, adults, children, whatever we may be, don't live below what, uh, what God has called you to do. Live a life worthy of your calling is what he says in chapter, two, uh, chapter 4 verse 1. Live a life worthy of your calling. All the blessings he's made available to us, many enumerated in chapter 1 and in chapter 2, and throughout the, the remainder of this, this uh, letter, kind of make it, make it easier for us to understand God can help us to be united. So take time to read these things again for yourself. The reading of the Word of God is more important than even listening to preaching, as, as important as preaching really is. 
A calling is a high and a holy calling. I keep uh, emphasizing this in messages I preach. It's such a high and holy calling, whatever the calling is. But for me as a, as a pastor, leader, uh, training people up, whatever the call is, it's such a high and holy calling. And when God calls, God equips. He, he, he gives, he, in a sense, he downloads into us all that we need to fulfill what he's called us to do and to be. And each calling is vital. Mine, yours, whoever we are, each person's calling is vital to make up the whole. And so he needs, if I can say God, God has, you know, we, we know that God is self-sufficient, but he needs, quotation, end of quotation, he needs you to do it well. Live a life worthy of your calling. Scripture says, whatever you do, this is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse, 30, uh, verse 30, 31, I think it is. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, with wholehearted commitment, the very best you can. No half-hearted, kind of corner-cutting, as little as I can get away with uh, when it suits me, always convenient, none of that attitude, but all out for God. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, verse one, uh, chapter one, verse twenty-seven: Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. He talks about fanning into flame in two Timothy chapter one, verse sixteen, uh, verse six: Fan into flame. The gift that God has given to you. And we do that through prayer and through praise and through participation with expectation. So spend time with God. Can I ask you to do that? We want to see God command blessing and we need to then be living a life worthy of our calling. And our calling is to bring about unity so that Christ can rule and reign and the church can become more and more effective. Spend time with God, then go and do what God tells you and shows you. Half-heartedness is a gap that the devil uses to cause disappointment, discouragement, and division. It stops unity, and it stops it seriously. So, give it all you've got. And then he goes on to expound a little more of what all this means. He says again uh, in the next verse, Be completely humble or lowly. Lowliness, sober assessment of our of the grace gift that has, that's on your life. God is a portion to each one of us, the grace gift that's on our lives. And Paul, uh, can I, sorry, can I just say pride is a terribly divisive thing. So be completely humble. Self-promotion, showing off, putting on a performance, boasting, being impressed with yourself. All of these things make people envious sometimes make people jealous sometimes or sometimes it just they just want to bring you down or they have to just move on they can't take the pride the showing off whatever we have whatever gift we have bear this in mind this helps us to to bring about unity whatever we have whatever call we have if it's to pastor to preach to evangelize uh, whatever it is be a housewife managing director of a company whatever the case may be it's a grace gift downloaded by God, and God apportions to everyone as the measure of grace that he wants. And uh, whatever what I'm trying to say is that whatever we've got, we were given by God. And God doesn't give us each, every one of us, exactly the same call or 
exactly the same amount of grace, gift, or gifting. He gives some one, two, five talents, etc. It's his prerogative. So whatever we've got, use it for his glory. Moving on quickly, not only be completely humble, but be meek. In other words, he says, in one of the translations, says, be completely gentle. Now, meek, remember this, meekness is not weakness. I, I mean, we say this over and over and over again. I've heard this said for 50-something years. But somehow or the other, we think that meekness is weakness. Weakness, or shall I, can I, let me, let me move back and say meekness is actually power under control. It says of Jesus, he was, he, he said of himself in Matthew eleven twenty nine, I am gentle and humble. And yet he was powerful. He was strong. He was fearless. He challenged power systems. He drove out demons, even from people who could rip chains apart that other people feared. Meekness is not weakness. Yet Jesus, with all of that power, was always caring, gentle, never arrogant or cruel or domineering. He never flaunted who he was or what he could do. Because those things, flaunting those things, bring about division. But if we'll just be gentle, meek. Moving on. He says in verse 2 of chapter 4, Be patient, bearing with one another. So here's the next little ingredient. If we're going to flow together, come into unity, and then flow together in unity, we need to be patient, and we need to be forbearing. Someone has said that patience, or long-suffering, is the ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. When people attack us, when they say things about us, when things are uncomfortable for us because of what's happening around us, we don't fight back. We need God's grace to love with endurance, no matter what. Understanding that people are different, that none of us is perfect, and we all have quirks, warts, off-putting aspects to our personalities. So make room for others, and others can make room for you. And this keeps us united, instead of causing division, through impatience and being intolerant. Moving on to the next point quickly, point number four, I think it is, be realistic about your expectations of others and of yourself. He says this in four, chapter 4, verse 7, But each, to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Now, I just touched that earlier on. But grace gifts given to us come from Christ, and He chooses what to give us, and He chooses the amount of what He gives, the anointing, the impartation, the impacting effect. We didn't deserve them, but by the grace of God, He just gives us these things, and we all have different gifts and all different proportions of that gifting. Some of Jesus' disciples, or his apostles, some of them had more than others. Some of them, you just hear their names in the early parts of the Gospels, and then you never hear of them again. And some were so powerfully used for signs, wonders, miracles. It's just, we're all different. Don't expect from others what they aren't gifted for or gifted with and that applies also to yourself don't expect from yourself what god hasn't gifted you so don't be too hard on others 
and don't be too hard on yourself. That's when division comes. It causes frustration either in yourself or in others towards you and other, towards others. Moving on quickly, equip yourself. This is the fifth or sixth one, I think it is. Equip yourself. Be willing to allow God through the Spirit, His Holy Spirit and gift ministries to equip and enlarge you. As He says in chapter 4, verse 11 through to 16, you could read that for the moment. It was He who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry, etc. So equip yourself. Cultivate His deposit in you for the good of others, for the good of all, not only for your own life and not only for your own ministry. You see, selfishness and unrealistic expectations cause division. They cause bitterness, discouragement, defeat, and they play right into the hands of the devil to cause more division. So equip yourself and be willing to allow God to use you graciously to equip others. Number seven, do what he has called you are called to do, not what he has called others to do. He says this in, in chapter 4, verse 12. He says he's, that he's, he's to equip us for works of service. When we well, want our works are for service, serving others, not our own self-seeking, but for others, it makes room for others to do what they are able to do, that God's grace gift them to do. And uh, it, it, it doesn't get in their way all the time. Uh, it, they're going to do it their way, not necessarily the way you think they should be doing it. And, and it so often frustrates people when you always take time, or uh, always take you take over, and you, you or you show them up. All of those things are devices. Just do what God's called you to do, and allow them to do what God's called them to do without butting in all the time. And then. Quickly moving on because of time. Grow up. In other words, mature. Stop acting like spoiled children. Behaving like immature children. And he says that in verse 4, four verses 13. About uh, verse 13. Uh, maturing, growing up in Christ. Paul said in 1, in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. You see, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. And Paul's saying, love helps us to mature. Love helps us to grow up. And when we love others with Christ's love, it helps them to grow up. And the, grow, the more mature we become, genuinely mature, the less divisive we become and the more united we become. Immaturity generally results from a lack of love, God's love, for God and for others, and even for yourself. Immaturity. Have a look at God's love list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 to 8. It's gentle, it's kind, it's patient, etc. It's not self-seeking, makes room for others, etc. Children are normally very, very me-centered or self-centered. It's all about me when, when we're children. It's give me, do for me. Me, me, me. Grow up. Stop behaving like a child. And then moving on, we're moving to chapter 5. Uh, I'm sorry I'm going so fast. I hope this is uh, not too fast. But chapter 5 is the basis of this chapter. Really, when you look at that, is he's really saying, don't control people, but love them. That's the basis, as I see it, in the context of unity. 
First of all, he says in chapter 5, verse 1, and this, I think, is point 9, imitate God. And the, How do we do that? Well, as seen in the life of Jesus, through his life, and in the Word of God. And this starts, you see that in chapter 5, verse 1, that imitate God. That is why it's so important, folk, to keep reading the Gospels ongoingly, regularly, looking at the life of Jesus, how he behaved, how he spoke, how he responded, reacted to people, whatever the case may be. And this actually, in some senses, starts in the last two verses of chapter 4, when he says, talks about forgiveness and kindness and compassion. Uh, that's why it's so important to have a look at the life of Jesus. Because there we know more about God. And it's as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, as we look at Jesus and we begin to imitate him and say, okay, God, I want to be like that. Help me to be like that. I see what's required. I place myself in your hands. Help me to be like that. It's then that he can transform us, as 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says. And it's then that we begin to conform to the image of Christ, to live like he did more and more. Romans 8, 29 and 30. Paul said in actually in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, be ye imitators of me. Imitate me. How? Why? Because I'm imitating Christ. So be God imitators. This is a why. Uh, this is a lifelong, lifetime process, with no shortcuts. But be imitators of God. Moving quickly on, live a life of love, sacrificial love, and you'll read that in chapter five, verses one and two. Uh, live a life of love, not wanting for waiting for people to deserve your love, your kindness. But sacrificial love, even when Christ, when they hurt you and attack you, like Christ on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And you say, well, that's, that's Jesus. Well, didn't uh, Stephen also uh, say something similar in Acts chapter 7, when he said, Lord, do not hold the sin against them? Look at, at Acts 7, verses 59 and 60. You see, when Jesus said, Father, forgive them, they didn't deserve it. He didn't say... When they repent, forgive them. While on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. He went on to say this. Now, this is important. For they do not know what they're doing. Now, I have no doubt that they did know what they were doing at the time. They knew that they were spitting on him, beating him, screaming at him. They knew they were condemning him. They knew that here, but they didn't understand the ramifications and the, the reasons behind it all. And so many, many people, when they do things to us, they don't really understand what they're doing, the long-term ramifications. And when we do things to them, very often we don't understand that either. So let's just live a life of love, sacrificial love, forgiving, and not trying to get even or, or, or get revenge. I'm just looking, I'm thinking I'm going to have to bring that to a close and pick up on, on a short fourth session. So I'm going to just pray for you again. I'm asking you, please, in Jesus' name, go and read those chapters. Read through the book of Ephesians again, but read four, five, and six, those chapters, and you'll see what we're talking about here, and the context being, yes, while it's all those blessings God's made available to us, that it's also that he may be effective through us because we are in unity. Father, thank you. We have your word. We have Jesus who lived it out at every level. That the word speaks of him. 
and give us a deeper love for Jesus, for the Word of God, and appreciation for and dependence upon your Holy Spirit, and bring your church worldwide into that place of unity, that we may stop the divisiveness and no longer be a tool in the hand of the devil, but that we may be something and someone, and then in our togetherness, the church that pleases you, the church that Jesus is building. Bless your people all over the world, in all of this divisive, horrendous, contentious society, all that's going on, trying to kill and maim and bring down people and criticize and judge and score points, help us to be exactly opposite, to be like Jesus. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.